Intro and Chapter One of Trials and Confessions of a Housekeeper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Trials and Confessions of a Housekeeper by T. S. Arthur. Introduction. Under the title of Confessions of a Housekeeper, a portion of the matter in this volume has already appeared. The book is now considerably increased, and the range of subjects made to embrace the grave and instructive, as well as the agreeable and amusing. The author is sure that no lady reader familiar with the trials, perplexities, and incidents of housekeeping can fail to recognize many of her own experiences, for nearly every picture that is here presented has been drawn from life. End of introduction. Chapter One, My Speculation in Chinaware. This happened a very few years after my marriage, and is one of those feeling incidents in life that we never forget. My husband's income was moderate, and we found it necessary to deny ourselves many little articles of ornament and luxury, to the end that there might be no serious abatement. In the comforts of life. In furnishing our house, we had been obliged to content ourselves mainly with things useful. Our parlor could boast of nine cane seat chairs, one high backed cane seat rocking chair, a pair of card tables, a pair of ottomans, the covers for which I had worked in worsted, and a few illustrated books upon the card tables. There were no pictures on the walls, nor ornaments on the mantelpieces. For a time after my marriage with Mr. Smith, I did not think much about the plainness of our style of living, but after a while, contracts between my own parlors and those of one or two friends would take place in my mind, and I often found myself wishing that we could afford a set of candelabras. A pair of china vases or some choice pieces of bohemian glass. In fact, I set my heart on something of the kind, though I concealed the weakness from my husband. Time stole on, and one increase after another to our family kept up the necessity for careful expenditure, and at no time was there money enough in the purse to justify any outlay beyond what the wants of the household required. So my mantelpieces remained bare as at first, notwithstanding the desire for something to put on them still remained active. One afternoon, as I sat at work renovating an old garment with the hope of making it look almost as good as new, my cook entered and said, "There's a man downstairs, Mrs. Smith, with a basket full of the most beautiful glass dishes and china ornaments that you ever did see." And he says that he will sell them for old clothes. For old clothes, I responded, but half comprehending what the girl meant. Yes, ma'am. If you have got an old coat or a pair of pantaloons that ain't good for nothing, he'll buy them and pay you in glass or china. I paused for a moment to think, and then said, "Tell him to come up into the dining room, Mary." The girl went downstairs and soon came back in company with a dull-looking old man who carried on his arm a large basket in which were temptingly displayed rich china vases, motto and presentation cups and saucers, glass dishes and sundry other articles of a like character. 
"'Any old coats, pantaloons, or vests?' said the man, as he placed carefully his basket on the floor. "'Don't want any money. See here. Beautiful.' And as he spoke he took up a pair of vases and held them before my eyes. They were just the thing for my mantelpieces, and I coveted them on the instant. "'What's the price?' I inquired. "'Got an old coat?' was my only answer. "'Don't want money.' My husband was the possessor of a coat that had seen pretty good service, and which he had not worn for some time. In fact, it had been voted, superannuated, and consigned to a dark corner of the clothes-press. The thought of this garment came very naturally into my mind, and with the thought of a pleasant exhilaration of feeling, for I already saw the vases on my mantles. "'Any old clothes?' repeated the vendor of china-ware. Without a word I left the dining-room and hurried up to where our large clothes-press stood in the passage above. From this I soon abstracted the coat and then descended with quick steps. The dull face of the old man brightened the moment his eyes fell upon the garment. He seized it with a nervous movement and seemed to take in its condition at a single glance. Apparently the examination was not very satisfactory, for he let the coat fall in a careless manner, across a chair, giving his shoulders a shrug, while a slight expression of contempt flitted over his countenance. "'Not much good,' fell from his lips after a pause. By this time I had turned to his basket, and was examining more carefully its contents. Most prominent stood the china vases, upon which my heart was already set, and instinctively I took them in my hands. "'What will you give for the coat?' said I. The old man gave his head a significant shake as he replied, "'No very good.' "'It's worth something,' I returned. "'Many a poor person would be glad to buy it for a small sum of money. It's only a little defaced. I'm sure it's richly worth four or five dollars.' "'Poof, poof, five-dollar poof!' The old man seemed angry at my most unreasonable assumption. "'Well, well,' said I, beginning to feel a little impatient. "'Just tell me what you will give for it.' "'What do you want?' he inquired, his manner visibly changing. "'I want these vases, at any rate,' I answered, holding up the articles I had mentioned. "'Worth four or five dollar!' ejaculated the dealer in well-feigned surprise. I shook my head. He shrugged his shoulders, and commenced searching his basket, from which after a while he took a china cup and saucer, on which I read in gilt letters, for my husband. "'Give you this,' said he. It was now my time to show surprise, I answered. "'Indeed you won't, then. But I'll tell you what I will do. I'll let you have the coat for the vases and this cup and saucer.' To this proposition the man gave an instant and decided negative, and seemed half offended by my offer. He threw the coat, which was in his hands again, upon a chair, and stooping down took his basket on his arm. I was deceived by his manner, and began to think that I had proposed rather a hard bargain, so I said, "'You can have the coat for the vases if you care to make the exchange. If not, why, no harm is done.' 
For the space of nearly a half a minute the old man stood in apparent irresolution. Then he replied, as he set down his basket and took out the pair of vases, "'I don't care. You shall have them.' I took the vases, and he took the coat. A moment or two more, and I heard the street door close behind the dealer in china ware with a very decided jar. "'Ain't they beautiful, Auntie?' said I to my old aunt Rachel, who had been a silent witness of the scene I have just described, and I held the pair of vases before her eyes. "'Why, yes, they are rather pretty, Jane,' replied Aunt Rachel, a little coldly, as I thought. "'Rather pretty. They are beautiful,' said I warmly. "'See there,' and I placed them on the dining-room mantel. "'How much they will improve our parlours!' "'Not half so much as that old coat you as good as gave away "'would have improved the feelings as well as the looks "'of poor Mr. Bryan, who lives across the street,' "'was the unexpected and rebuking answer of Aunt Rachel. "'The words smote on my feelings. "'Mr. Bryan was a poor but honest and industrious young man, "'upon whose daily labour a wife and five children were dependent. "'He went meanly clad, because he could not earn enough, "'in addition to what his family required, "'to buy comfortable clothing for himself. "'I saw in an instant what the true disposition of the coat should have been. "'The china vases would a little improve the appearance of my parlours, "'but how many pleasant feelings and hours and days of comfort "'would the old coat have given to Mr. Bryan? "'I said no more.' Aunt Rachel went on with her knitting, and I took the vases down into the parlours, and placed them on the mantels, one in each room. But they looked small, and seemed quite solitary. So I put one on each end of a single mantel. This did better. Still I was disappointed in the appearance they made, and a good deal displeased with myself. I felt that I had made a bad bargain, that is, one from which I should obtain no real pleasure. For a while I sat opposite the mantelpiece, looking at the vases, but not admiringly. Then I left the parlour and went about my household duties, but with a pressure on my feelings. I was far, very far, from being satisfied with myself. About an hour afterwards my husband came home. I did not take him into the parlour to show him my little purchase, for I had no heart to do so. As we sat at the tea-table, he said, addressing me, "'You know that old coat of mine that is up in the clothes-press?' I nodded my head in assent, but did not venture to speak. "'I've been thinking to-day,' added my husband, "'that it would be just the thing for Mr. Bryan, who lives opposite.' It's rather too much worn for me, but will look quite decent on him, compared with the clothes he now wears. Don't you think it is a good thought? We will, of course, make him a present of the garment. My eyes drooped to the table, and I felt the blood crimsoning my face. For a moment or two I remained silent, and then answered, I'm sorry you didn't think of this before, but it's too late now. Too late? Why? inquired my husband. "'I sold the coat this afternoon,' was my reply. "'Sold it?' "'Yes. A man came along with some handsome china ornaments, and I sold the coat for a pair of vases to set on our mantelpieces.' 
There was an instant change in my husband's face. He disapproved of what I had done, and, though he uttered no condemning words, his countenance gave too clear an index to his feelings. "'The coat would have done poor Mr. Bryan a great deal more good than the vases will ever do, Jane,' spoke up Aunt Rachel, with less regard for my feelings than was manifested by my husband. "'I don't think—' she continued, that anybody ought to sell old clothes for either money or knick-knackeries to put on the mantelpieces. Let them be given to the poor, and they'll do some good. There isn't a housekeeper in moderate circumstances that couldn't almost clothe some poor family by giving away the cast-off garments that every year accumulate on her hands. How sharply did I feel the rebuking spirit in these words of Aunt Rachel! What's done can't be helped now said my husband, kindly interrupting as he spoke, some further remarks that Aunt Rachel evidently intended to make. We must do better next time. I must do better, was my quick remark, made in penitent tones. I was very thoughtless. To relieve my mind, my husband changed the subject of conversation, but nothing could relieve the pressure upon my feelings, caused by a too acute consciousness of having done what in the eyes of my husband looked like a want of true humanity. I could not bear that he should think me void of sympathy for others. The day following was Sunday. Church time came, and Mr. Smith went to the clothes-press for his best coat, which had been worn only for a few months. "'Jane!' he called to me suddenly in a voice that made me start. "'Jane, where is my best coat?' "'In the clothes-press,' I replied, coming out from our chamber into the passage as I spoke. "'No, it's not here,' was his reply. "'And I shouldn't wonder if you had sold my good coat for those china vases.' "'No such thing!' I quickly answered, though my heart gave a great bound at his words, and then sunk in my bosom with a low tremor of alarm. "'Here's my old coat,' said Mr. Smith, holding up that defaced garment. "'Where is the new one?' "'The old clothesman has it, as sure as I live,' burst from my lips. "'Well, that is a nice piece of work, I must confess.' This was all my husband said, but it was enough to smite me almost to the floor. Covering my face with my hands, I dropped into a chair and sat and sobbed for a while bitterly. "'It can't be helped now, Jane,' said Mr. Smith at length, in a soothing voice. "'The coat is gone, and there is no help for it. You will know better next time.' That was all he said to me then, and I was grateful for his kind consideration. He saw that I was punished quite severely enough, and did not add to my pain by rebuke or complaint." An attempt was made during the week to recover the coat, valued at some twenty dollars, but the china ornament man was not to be found. He had made too good a bargain to run the risk of having it broken. About an hour after the discovery of the loss of my husband's coat, I went quietly down into the parlor, and taking from the mantelpieces the china vases worth probably a dollar for the pair, concealed them under my apron, lest any one should see what I had, and, returning upstairs, hid them away in a dark closet, where they have ever since remained. The reader may be sure that I never forgot this, my first and last speculation in Chinaware. End of chapter 1